You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, we're going we're gonna to tackle a fun topic today, which you see from the video is resolving conflict in marriage. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 4. James is near the end of the Bible, near the end of the New Testament. We'll be in James chapter 4 and verse 1 here in just a second. And uh, as that that video kind of funnily illustrates, uh, even Christian marriages uh, experience conflict, right? Even the, the, the godliest people, we're still sinners. We still have uh, our own preferences, our own desires, and uh, sometimes those come at odds with our spouse. And so even the godliest Christians, even the godliest marriages have conflict. And those can be funny things like that, like uh, when, when in my household, I don't know if this happens in your house, but maybe in my house, the, the, the conflict wouldn't have been on the directions. It would have been on where we were going to eat in the first place. I don't know if you guys have ever had that. It's like, hey, babe, where do you want to eat tonight? I don't, I don't care wherever you want to eat. Okay, let's go to Moe's. No, I don't want Moe's. Okay, let's, let's go get pizza. No, I don't want pizza. Well, okay. I thought you said I could pick. Well, like, what are, what are we going to eat? I don't know if you guys ever have that, that conversation uh, in your household. One of the conversations that um, I learned early on, I, I learned the right way to do this early on, is that it matters which way the toilet paper is facing on the roll. Did you guys know that? I don't know if that's something that is important at your house, but the, the toilet paper has to be facing over the top and not, and not underneath, okay? So that's like really important. Or um, I, I, love, I love this one. This is, this is one that we, we play with each other about from time to time is, hey, hey babe, I went to, to you know, Kohl's today and I, I saved us $50. It's like, no, no, you, you spent $100 you didn't say, no, 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 it, was, it would have been 150 but I saved 50 It's like, no, you spent $100. We didn't save anything. Like th- these are the, or like early on in our marriage, uh, I remember um, this is kind of before we had kids. It's like a Friday night. We're, we're hanging out, you know, after work, and uh, we're snuggled up on the couch, and my wife made uh, a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies. And I don't know about you, but um, my favorite dessert in the world is probably fresh, fresh baked chocolate chip cookies with a glass of milk. And so we're sitting there on the couch. She's, she's baked like four cookies, okay? We're sitting there on our couch. We're watching a show or something. We're, we're eating them. And I eat my four really quick. And she's eating three. And there's one cookie left on the plate. And so I, I don't know about you guys. I devised this plan where like I snuggle up to her real sweetly. And I'm like, babe, why don't you have the last cookie? And what am I hoping that she's going to say when I, when I do that? She's going to say, oh, no, sweetheart, you have the last cookie. And my wife said, you're doggone right. I'm having the last cookie. You already ate all yours. That one's mine. Uh, and so there, in, in marriage, even godly marriages, even Christian marriages, there, there's conflict. Uh, but those, those little conflicts and those funny con- conflicts can give way to bigger ones and to, to more important conversations, not just where we're going to eat, where we're going to go, but uh, things like where are we going to spend the holidays and uh, how are we going to spend our money and uh, what are we going to do about work and, and providing for the family and what are we going to do about discipline of the kids and there's like some really big conversations and, and these can lead to really, really big conflicts that over time wear you down uh, in your marriage and, and start to create uh, bitterness, uh, start to create resentment uh, and, and can jeopardize the holiness and happiness of our marriages. And so, we need to be able to figure out how to resolve those conflicts, how to move from tension, how to move from conflict, and to move towards peace. And the good news is, 
that James chapter 4 gives us wisdom from heaven. This is godly wisdom from the Lord himself for resolving conflicts and creating relational harmony in all relationships. James is dealing with here, uh, as he talks about in verse 1, these, these quarrels, these fights that are happening in the churches that he's writing this letter to. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's kind of good news for me. I, I, don't know, I grew up, and, and sometimes I would, I would look at the people in the Bible and think, these were like super spiritual people. These were like uh, heroes of the faith, and they were nothing like me. And yet, if you, if you actually read the Bible and read what's going on, these were people who were selfish just like us, who were sinful just like us, who fought just like us. And so James is saying there's all of these fights happening in the church, and he gives them wisdom for how to resolve those fights, how to resolve those conflicts. And so this is, these are principles for any relationship that you might have, okay? Uh, family relationships, friendships, uh, work and, and peer uh, conflict that you may need to resolve, but also, uh, as we're going to talk about today specifically, for our marriages. How can we resolve relational conflict and move towards uh, relational harmony? Uh, and so for the sake of our marriages, uh, if you're in the room and you're, you're not married yet, for the sake of your future marriage, but just for the sake of all of the relationships that we have, let's listen to what James tells us here in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, so we can see how to godly, in a godly way, uh, resolve conflict. So James chapter 4 and verse 1, and uh, if you would, would you please stand to your feet uh, out of reverence for reading the words of God. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 10. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the words will be on the screen. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So four things that, that James tells us here that, that I want to uh, explain, four ways that we can kind of a process of moving from uh, relational tension and conflict to relational harmony, four things. Number one, first is diagnose the cause. The first thing you need to do in any, in any conflict that you're in is diagnose the root cause of the conflict. There in verse one, James asks diagnostic questions. Okay, he's trying to get at the root. What is the cause of the quarrels? What is the cause of the fights that you are having? The reason why he does this is because just like a doctor, he knows that the, the conflict itself is merely a symptom of some root cause. And so he wants to be able to get to the root so he can actually address what's going on and, and bring some kind of healing. It would be the same thing as if, if you went to the doctor and, and you had pain and that pain was being caused by cancer or by a tumor of some kind and the doctor merely said, go home and take Advil and it'll take care of the pain. 
the doctor would be addressing the symptom but not addressing the root cause. And so James knows that the issue is much deeper than just the surface level conflict that you are having. He knows, and because he's a student of the Bible, that the source of every conflict, the source of every broken relationship from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, is sin in the heart. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, it broke their relationship with God. It also broke their relationship with each other. And that is the source of every single relational conflict that we have. And what's interesting here about James chapter 4 is that James doesn't even go into the nature of the fights that are going on. He doesn't identify what's happening. He doesn't identify who the players are in this. He doesn't do anything except go to the source because he doesn't care what the nature of the fight is. And he doesn't even really care who's right or wrong in this whole thing. He wants to diagnose what is the cause. And he, he says there is the, the second set of questions there in verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What's the cause of the fights? What's the cause of the external war that you're fighting with some person that you're in relationship with or with your spouse? And he says the cause of that external war is an internal war that's going on inside of you. He says your passions are at war within you. And then he goes on in verse 2, and he explains more of what he means. These two parallel phrases. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot get what you crave, so you fight and quarrel. Okay, now when he says you murder, he's not, he's not talking about literal murder. Okay, There's not, they're not like actually killing each other in the worship gathering and, and being dragged out uh, to a funeral. He's talking figuratively in the same way that Jesus would say, in the Sermon on the Mount, right, if you're, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, then you have committed murder against him. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, is talking about here. In the figurative sense, the reason why you are angry with your brother, the reason why you're angry with your wife, the reason why you're angry with your husband is because you desire and do not have. So the problem that you face, and this is, James is very helpful here. It may not seem helpful, but it's very helpful here because the problems that you face as a couple, the problems that you have in your marriage may seem very complicated to you. You may be even sitting here today and, and there's, there's a massive amount of tension and strife in your marriage and you're kind of going through your mind like, how did we get here? Why in the world has it gotten this bad? How did this happen? And James says, while the problems that you face may seem very complicated, the answer is actually very simple. The reason why you have conflict in your marriage is because you are not getting what you want. Bottom line, there's something that you want from your spouse that you're not getting, and so you are angry about it. There's something you want from your husband. There's something that you want from your wife. You're not getting it, and so you are mad. This is the source of every relational conflict, James tells us. Now, again, this is, this is good news because if you can identify the source, if you can identify the cause and the, the severity of the problem, then you can actually begin to address it. You can actually begin to solve it. But this is what we see in every single, uh, in every single relational conflict that there is. And so one example of this would be uh, my son Judson is four. Uh, he is absolutely obsessed with Star Wars, okay? He thinks it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, he dresses up as Darth Vader, dresses up as Kylo Ren, and he has all of these, like, toy lightsabers, and he, he wants to, like, play with me. Dad, can we do a lightsaber fight? Uh, and then the other day, he wanted his sister, Emma Grace, who's nine, 
he wanted Emma to do a lightsaber battle with him. And Emma said, no, I don't want to do the lightsaber battle. And so he took the lightsaber and he hit her with it. Um, Now, he's never seen me ask my wife to do something. And my wife says, no, I don't want to do that. And me hit her with a lightsaber. Okay. He's never seen that behavior before in his life. Okay. So why is Judson lashing out against his sister by hitting her with a lightsaber? Answer, he didn't get what he wanted. And he's a sinner, just like me and just like you. And so because of that, he lashes out in anger and they get into a fight because he's not getting what he wants. And James says, every single relational conflict that you have, the root cause, while it may seem complicated, it's very simple. You're not getting something that you want. You're not getting something that you expect. So there is an expectation, there's a demand, there's a craving that you have. And it is the source of the conflict. And your uh, selfishness in this situation is the problem. Your problem is not your spouse, okay? Your problem is not your husband. Your problem is not your wife. Your problem is you. What is it that you want that you're not getting? What is it that you expect that you are not getting that has led to this conflict? As one, one person said, expectation is the mother of disappointment. And that's true. It's certainly true in marriage expectation is the mother of disappointment. Whatever it is that you expect of your wife and that she doesn't meet, or whatever it is that you expect of your husband and he doesn't meet, that begins to cause bitterness, resentment, relational conflict because you're not getting what you want. And it, and it, can, be, it can be very subtle. Like one of, the, one of the ways that this could play out in your marriage is um, maybe your husband, you you work outside the home, you have a wife and, and children, she doesn't work outside the home, and so you, you're gone all day, you're, you're working, you're doing your job, it's, there's all that stress that comes with that, you're trying to do the best you can, and climb the ladder and be successful, and then you drive home, okay, five o'clock, six o'clock, you're driving home, and what you want is what I call a hero's welcome, right? I've been away all day fighting these battles for the family to provide, and now I'm home, and so I want a place of rest, I want a place of quiet. I want to be able to eat dinner. I want to be able to sit in the Lazy Boy. I want to be able to watch the NBA playoffs. And I just want a hassle-free evening, right? You want that, that kind of just a comfortable, hassle-free evening. You come in, and your wife is, is stressed and, and, and tired from all the things that she's been doing with the kids all day. There's, dinner's not ready. You're not even sure what's going to happen for dinner. You start to have that conversation. And, okay, what's going to be for supper? The kids are running around. They're crazy. The house is a mess. That's stressing your, your wife out even more. And, and so now you're not getting, she's asking you to help bathe the kids, help. There's homework. You got to do algebra and try to figure out how to do that again. And, and now they've changed the way that you do math. And so you're trying to figure out the way to do it that's new that you didn't learn when you were in school. And so you're, you don't get that hassle-free evening that you want. And so you, you start to pout and you start to get upset. And I wanted to watch the playoffs and I wanted to, to sit down. And, I, and I'm, you're asking me to help with all these things. I've been working all day. And, and your wife's in there thinking, like, what the heck do you think I've been doing all day, right? Like, you want that hero's welcome when you come home. When instead, like, in our hearts, men, we should be saying to ourselves, you know, like, the one who's really been heroic today is my wife who's been raising our kids and my home shouldn't be this place where I expect to be treated like a king, like it's my refuge and everybody's here to serve me. No, I'm here like Jesus, not to be served, but to serve. And so when, you, when you're on your way home, like do that check in your soul of, okay, 
my opportunity here is to serve my wife who's been serving all day. My opportunity here is to serve my kids who've been serving all day. Not to expect this hero's welcome for me to get exactly what I want. But when you have that expectation of, I'm going to come in and have a hassle-free evening and it doesn't happen, you get ticked off. When your wife has the expectation, he's going to come in and he's going to help with the kids and he's going to pull his load, and you don't, she gets angry because she's not getting what she wants. And so now you're in this, this conflict. Why? Because each of you is not getting what you want in the situation. So you have to, the first thing you do is you diagnose the cause. What is it that I want? What is it that I expect that I'm not getting? Okay? Uh, it could be a number of things in marriage. Intimacy, right? Romance, okay? Affection that doesn't necessarily lead to intimacy. Attention, help with the kids, respect, communication, better communication, okay? Um, comfort, control of the, of the household, all kinds of things that husband or wife wants, expects, and when you don't get it, you get angry and it leads to a fractured relationship. And what James diagnoses for us here is, again, that what he calls uh, friendship with the world and being at opposition with God, okay? Friendship with the world, this kind of selfish desire to, to please yourself and to get what you want, it fractures three relationships, okay? It causes war in three relationships. One, it causes war in you. Two, it causes war with God. And three, it causes war with your spouse. And so you've got to deal with each of those. You've got to deal with the war going on in you. You've got to deal with the war that you have with God. And you've got to deal with the war that you are having with your spouse. And so we want to do those, those three with the, with the next three steps. Okay, so number one, diagnose the cause. Number two, resist unhelpful reactions. Okay, resist unhelpful reactions. How do you go about resolving this conflict? Well, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's the goal? What is it that I really want to accomplish? What is it that we really want here? Is it comfort? Hassle-free life? Is that the goal? Is that the, the number one priority? Is it to win the argument? Is that the number one priority? Is it self-indication? You, you, you're right. You were right in this whole thing, and, and you need to be proven to be right. Or is it the growth and the health of your marriage? What is the win? What is the goal? Because once you can agree on the goal, then you can make steps towards peace, and you can kind of do away with some of your preferences in order to achieve that greater goal that you want. And so what is it that you really want? Do you want to win the argument? Do you want to be proven right? Or do you want your spouse, like a strong, healthy, happy, joyful relationship with your spouse? You need to ask yourself the question, what is it that I really want? The only, only way you're going to be able to overcome the selfishness of not getting these things that you desire is to have a greater desire that you put in its place, which is the desire of a holy, happy marriage that I'm not just enduring, but I'm enjoying. Okay, that, that's the, the desire that replaces all these other little desires. And so that can help you think through how do I need to react in this situation? Because you can react in this conflict and you can fight with your spouse and you can do so in a way that causes you to lose the relationship. Remember when I, the first church I pastored, and I, I, was, I was really young and, and made lots of mistakes. Um, but there was, a, there was a deacon of this church. Uh, his name was Norman. And Norman was um, kind of the guy who would handle like financial matters and stuff. 
And when, when I became pastor and like we moved there, he had a trailer um, hitched up to his truck and came to our house and helped us load our stuff and then and took us to our, our new house and helped unload. And um, he and I would meet together for breakfast, six in the morning. And um, and just two years of just a really strong relationship and uh, praying together and doing ministry together and serving together. Uh, and then I started to notice that that Norman wasn't coming to church as often as he had before. And then started to miss like a month at a time and, and would just come in to do the books and then, and then just leave. And, and so I was wondering what was going on um, with him and with his family. And at the same time, I was doing doctoral work and, and there was this one weekend where I was going to have to take these comprehensive exams. It's like the last exams I was ever going to have to take in school. And so I had to basically study everything that I had learned over the last uh, three or four years. And so uh, Ashley and the kids came to Knoxville. We lived in Louisville at the time. They came to Knoxville uh, to be with family. And so I was there at the house by myself. And so 24 hours a day, basically, I'm studying for this test because it's on Monday. Okay. And so I wake up Sunday morning. Um, I've not slept hardly at all and go in preach. And at, right when I'm done preaching, Norman comes to my office and tells me he's leaving the church. Um, and I said, well, why? And he said, well, the music's too loud. And you know, I, I, I had that really quick, like, internal monologue about, like, how are you going to respond to this, okay? And it's like, you, you've spent two years developing a relationship with this guy, and, and because he doesn't like the music, uh, he's leaving. And so, in my tired, selfish, kind of like, what's this going to say about me as a leader? What, we're going to lose the family of the church? Like, what's this, what's this going to say about me? That kind of selfish response, I lashed out at him and said, well, you know what, I just hope that you find some place where you can plug in and not flake out like you've done here. And he said, okay. And he turned around, walked out, slammed the door to my office. And so I was like, okay. And so I, so I try to go after him. And his car is like three, three spots down from my car. Uh, I was like, hey, Norman, man, I, I'm sorry. I hope, hope you have a good day. And he just opened his door, slammed it. I never saw him again. And this has been 12 years ago. And, and there's still deep pain. Again, not, not to say that there weren't things that he did wrong, but there were certainly things that I did wrong uh, in that. And so the, the, the good feeling of like telling somebody off lasts about 30 seconds when you never have the relationship again. And so you can do that with your husband and you can do that with your wife and you can go at it and you can tell them off and you can win the argument and you can lose your wife and you can lose your husband and so we have to resist these kind of unhelpful reactions that, that may feel good in the moment, but are actually going to be detrimental to the goal that we're trying to accomplish. And so James gets at this here. It's, instead of trying to work to resolve the conflict, these people are, are, be, are, are reacting sinfully and they're reacting selfishly. Uh, and he wants us to resist that urge. What James indicates here, which is really interesting in, in uh, verse 2 and 3 is that the methods that they use to address this, they don't help. And rarely do the methods that we employ, the tools that we try to use to resolve conflict in our marriages, they rarely work as well. Their method, which I'm afraid ours is too, uh, oftentimes, is to double down on the selfishness, okay? And to double down on what they are wanting. That's, that's their response to the issue, is to double down 
on the selfishness by praying for God to give them the things that they want that have caused the fight with their, uh, their brothers and sisters in Christ in the first place. Look what he says there at the end of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So the very thing that has caused the conflict with their brothers and sisters in Christ, they're now asking God to give them that thing that they wanted their brother or sister to give them. And I'm afraid, again, that in marriage, oftentimes we double down uh, on our selfishness rather than trying to evaluate our selfishness and let it go and to, to serve our spouse. So instead of praying for their spouse, instead of praying for God to work in this situation, they're praying that God gives them what they want. And I, again, I'm afraid that that's, that's the truth with us as well. Instead of sacrificially serving our spouse and asking God, how can I sacrifice my preferences and sacrifice my desires here in order to serve my spouse? Uh, we ask God to, to grant those things, or we ask God to change our spouse without actually asking ourselves, how can we change and repent in this situation? And even when we do serve, sometimes I, I fear that sometimes in marriage, when we actually do step up and serve our spouse, it's really only because we're hoping that they'll reciprocate that service towards us. We want something from our wife, so we'll do what she wants so that she'll give us what we want. And you want something from your husband, so you'll do what he wants so that he'll give you something that you want. And it's not a true serving. It's just this reciprocation of this tit for tat. I'll do for you if you do for me. It's this kind of uneasy contract. And then whenever that contract is broken, then all of a sudden we're ticked and we're bitter and we're resentful toward each other again. And so he says, resist that urge to double down on your selfishness and to double down on your pride. There are other unhelpful reactions when these conflicts arise. One of the main ones is blame shifting, right? Rather than asking, okay, what is my part in this? We basically just put it off on our spouse. And this is, again, what we see about sin from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, right? Hey, Adam, what did you do? The wife that you gave me, she's the one who did it. Hey, Eve, what did you do? Satan, he's the, he's the one who did it. And we're shifting blame from ourselves. And James says, no, no, no. Before you can deal with the external reality, you, you can't change your spouse but you can deal with your own internal realities, okay? And that's what you need to do. Other reactions that people have um, when there's this relational conflict is, you know, fight or flight. Those are two of the classic reactions. And so sometimes fight in a, again, if you fight in a, there are some battles that need to be waged, okay? Uh, but they need to be done in a way that you don't sacrifice your Christian humility and virtue, you do it in a, in a godly way. So some, sometimes you do need to have the argument. You do need to work through it. You do, you do need to, to kind of have it out, but in a godly way, in a, in a humble way. But oftentimes, those who are prone to fight at the, the sign of any tension, any conflict, it's because you love to argue. It's because you want to show that you're right. And so you want to show how your spouse is wrong. You want to tell them off. And again, you may win the battle and you may be right, but you may lose the war and lose your spouse. Or if you're the kind of person who your natural tendency is flight, again, sometimes that's good. There are some arguments that you don't need to have. There are some fights that you don't need to have, right? I mean, uh, Solomon says this in Proverbs, right? Don't answer a fool according to his folly or you'll become like him. There are some times where, where getting into the fight means that you're going to, to, to kind of play by these really, you know, you're going to have to lower yourself to the other person's level in order to have this fight, and it's not going to be helpful, and it's not something you need to engage in. Sometimes just give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes just, just refuse to engage. But for some people who choose and are, are prone to choose 
flight, it's, it's more about, again, that selfishness of, I want to avoid the discomfort. I want things to be hassle-free. Uh, I, I think it would be just easier if we just kind of sweep it under the rug. And that's a losing strategy, too, because you sweep things under the rug enough, eventually the rug uh, is, is going to trip you, okay? And so you've got to learn how to deal with this in a godly way instead of the ways that we typically deal with it. Here's the ways that I, I fear uh, that we typically deal with conflict. Let me just kind of work through two scenarios with you, uh, one from typical husband's perspective, one from typically from the wife's perspective. And this is kind of the, the cycle of conflict that we see played out in, again, unmet desire. The husband, we'll talk about husband, uh, desire for intimacy from, from his wife with his wife, and maybe the wife desire for uh, help with the kids and stuff around the house. Okay, so there's, it starts with desire. Okay, husband, I want, I desire intimacy. Wife, I want help. Now, that desire, those desires are not in and of themselves bad or wrong or sinful, okay? Those are, in, in many ways, God, they can be godly desires, okay? So it can be a good desire that you want to be romantic with your wife, a good desire that you want your husband to be a part of what's going on in the house, but there also can be selfishness that's mixed in with it, okay? A selfishness of, if I don't get what I want, then I'm going to react, so it starts with desire, and then it moves towards expectation, towards demand. I expect intimacy with my wife. I expect him to help with the kids. I demand intimacy with my wife. I demand that he help with the kids. And when that expectation, that demand is not met, the third stage is judgment. You pass judgment on your spouse. And so the husband looks at the wife uh, because he feels like she's withholding intimacy and says, She's being a bad wife. Maybe even you know verses in the Bible and you say, not, not only is she being a bad wife, she's being a bad Christian because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that she's not supposed to withhold her marital duty from me. And so she's not just being a bad wife, she's being a bad Christian. And for the wife on the other side, when the husband withholds that he's not going to help with the kids, he's not going to help around the house, again, you pass judgment. You're a bad husband. Again, you may even know verses in the Bible where live with your wife in an understanding way. He's not, he doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand how this would be helpful to me. He doesn't even care. And so he's not just that he's a bad husband, he's a bad Christian. And so you pass judgment on your spouse. And that leads finally, once you've passed the sentence, then you punish your spouse. And punishment could be just being cold, okay, being harsh, pouting. Uh, men tend to take that one a lot just kind of pouting around the house, withholding from your spouse, looking elsewhere than your spouse, becoming bitter, losing trust, trying to manipulate one another, talking ugly with and about each other. And then you're, you're locked into this, this really, really ugly conflict that's threatening your marriage where you're withholding peace. And the only reason that, and, and the, the reason you cling to your side of it is because you can enumerate in your mind all the ways that your spouse is wrong. And you may even be right about it. But there's got to be a better way than just locking yourself in this bitterness and this resentment and not moving towards peace simply because, well, I can find some reasons why what she did is wrong. And I can find some reasons why what he did is wrong. And so the first step James tells us is don't be a, you know, pugilistic, don't be a fighter, don't be passive, and, and choose flight. Don't double down on your selfishness. Look inside your heart and assess, okay, what is it that I want that I'm not getting? And own it. What is it I want that I'm not getting? Respect. 
intimacy, comfort, control the situation? What is it that I want that I'm not getting? And so you are now ready to move on once you've done the evaluation of yourself. And then secondly, repair your relationship with God. So that's the third thing that we see here. Okay, so resist the unhelpful reactions. But number three, humble yourself before God. That's the very next thing that you are supposed to do. Every, here's the bottom line. Every relational conflict that you have, whether with your spouse or with your children, or with a friend or a coworker, every relational conflict that you have shows first and foremost a fracture in your relationship with God. Every relational conflict that you have shows first and foremost a fracture in your relationship with God. What makes your selfish sin so horrific, what makes my selfish sin so horrific in every relational conflict that I'm in is not first and foremost because of the way I'm treating my wife. It's first and foremost that I have sinned against God himself. Your sin and my sin, no matter who it is at the horizontal level, no matter who we sin against at the horizontal level, first and foremost, what makes our sin so horrific is the fact that we have rebelled against God. And so we need to go to him first and, and, and get a fix for what has happened. And so James, as we read earlier in those verses, and I'm not going to go through all of what he's saying there, but he basically says, you need to humble yourself before God, okay? Let go of your selfishness, let go of your pride, humble yourself before God. After you have this honest evaluation of, okay, here's how I'm being selfish, then humble yourself before God and repent of it, confess it. He says, cleanse your hands, cleanse your heart, okay? So confess it. Repent of your sin, and he says, if you'll do that, if you'll humble yourself and you'll repent of your sin, he says, then God will exalt you. God will exalt you. If you don't, he says, you're at enmity with God. You're not only at war with your spouse, you're at war with God. But if you'll just humble yourself, if you'll just lay yourself low before God, do do away with your preferences, do away with the things that you selfishly want, then he's going to lift you up. He's going to exalt you. And here's the thing. As C.J. Mahaney says about this verse in James 4, verse 10, he says that the shadow of the cross falls across this passage. And he's, he's right. James knows what he's talking about. When James says, humble yourself and the Lord will exalt you, th- this is who James is. I don't know if you know this or not, but J- this is not James the apostle who spent the three years with Jesus, James um, the brother of John. This is James who is the half-brother of Jesus. So, so Mary has Jesus And then her and Joseph get married, and they have other kids. And one of the kids that they have is James. And what we know about James is James was a skeptic. James didn't, like, you, you, all of you who have brothers and sisters know the relational conflict that you can have with your brothers and sisters, right? Um, But imagine being raised in a home where your parents told you, hey, your brother over there, he's the Messiah. Like, he's, he's God's child. I know we're all God's children, but, like, he's, like, special God's child, and he's going to be the savior of the world. And James, who lives in there every day, is like, I don't see it. (laughs) I don't see it. Um, And what changed James' mind was Jesus being raised from the dead. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, everything changed. And James became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and uh, just a, a, a really, really important leader in the early church. And what changed his mind, again, was he saw the humiliation of his brother, and then he saw the exaltation when three days later Jesus walked out of the grave. And he says, you know what? If you'll humble yourself 
before the Lord, then he will exalt you. Our most serious conflict, most serious conflict that we have is with God. It's not with another human. And that conflict is so severe that we can't do anything to resolve it. But thanks be to God that he took the initiative. His son came to earth. His son humiliated himself by dying the death of a cross to pay for our sins. He was raised from the dead. And if we will repent and we will believe in him, then we will have all of our sins forgiven and we will be reconciled in our relationship to the Lord. And he says, uh, John says in, in 1 John 1, 9, if you will confess your sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So that's the first step is, okay, own how have I sinned in this situation? Confess that sin. Humble yourself. Just don't, don't just stand there in your pride and dig your heels in and double down on your selfishness. Confess that sin to the Lord and receive forgiveness from Him and be restored vertically in your relationship with the Lord. And then you're ready, finally, number four, to make peace with your spouse. To make peace with your spouse. Ephesians 5 tells us that, that our marriage should be a picture of the gospel that the way that Christ laid down his life for his bride is the way that husbands are supposed to love their wives, the way that the church respects and follows the lead of Christ. The wife is to respect and follow the lead of her husband. And so Ephesians chapter 5, if we're going to be Christ-like in our marriages, that means laying down our lives, laying down our preferences, laying down our selfish wants, and serving our wife. And husbands, as the leader of your home, that means you start you take the initiative in the same way, again, that Jesus took the initiative. Like, I, I just, I can't tell you how, how frustrating it is as a pastor when I will meet with couples. And the answer is when, I, when we when kind of diagnose all of this and, and figure out how everybody's being selfish and what's going on in the relationship, that for one of the partners to say, well, when he starts doing his part, then I'll start doing my part. Well, when she starts doing her part, then I'll start doing my part. And I didn't. Thank God Jesus didn't have that attitude. Well, you know what? When they clean themselves up, then I'm going to come down, die on the cross for them. No, he takes the initiative. He lays down his life. And so we need to take the initiative and we need to lay down our lives as well. And so here's, here's the way it works out, okay? Here's kind of the internal monologue that I that want to encourage you to have that I think can help bring peace uh, in, your, in your marriage. Any conflict that you're in with your spouse, okay, um, the person that you're in conflict with can be right, they can be wrong, or as is most likely the case, there's a mixture of right and wrong, okay, and whatever they, it is that they're upset with you about, okay? So there's this mixture, mixture partially right, partially wrong. Instead of the usual response, okay, getting mad, justifying yourself, I'm right, threatening to lose the relationship or harm the relationship, what I want us to consider is exa exactly what he's talking about here. Humble yourself, God will exalt you. Consider the cross, okay? Consider the cross of Jesus Christ. Because here, here's what the cross teaches us. If you believe in the cross, then that means two things. One, you agree with God's judgment of you, that you're a sinner. And that means that you agree with God's justification of you, which means he's approved of you in Christ Jesus, that you are a beloved child of God. Now, here's why that's important. That's important because in any conflict, if you agree with God's judgment of you, that you're a sinner, then however your wife 
or however your husband thinks that you are at fault in this situation, that is not one one thousandth of the faults that you have before Almighty God. That's a fraction, a teeny tiny fraction of the actual sin and selfishness and fault that is in your heart. Again, you say, I can't believe you say that. If you agree with the cross, then you agree that Jesus died because you're a sinner and because your sin needed that ultimate sacrifice. And so whatever way that your spouse thinks that you're wrong in this situation, you can just let it roll off your back and say, you know what? It may be right, may be wrong, but whatever part I'm playing in this, it is not even a, a fragment of the true faults and sins that I have before God. And so I don't have to be torn to pieces about it. And I don't have to get defensive about it because I already know I'm a sinner. And if you're right, thank you for uncovering this for me so that I can confess and do business with God and then do business with you. And if you're wrong, well, you know what? It just reminds me of all the ways that I am sinful and all the ways that I am selfish. And so I can ask, okay, is there any part of what she's saying? Is there any part of what he's saying that I need to take and heed and and listen to because I don't need to be crushed by this assessment. I already know I'm a sinner. And I don't need to be approved of in this situation. I don't need to be right because you know what? God has already justified me in Christ. God has approved of me in Christ. Not because I'm great, but because of what he's done for me, because of his grace. And so I don't need to be proven right in this situation. I, I, I don't have to be crushed by not coming out, you know, as the one who looks like the winner in this. I can just trust that God's evaluation of me is is better than, than any evaluation anybody else is ever going to give of me, even my spouse. And so you're able to, to, to move from this conflict, humble yourself before God, humble yourself before your wife, and to say, okay, thank you. Is there something I can learn here? Uh, is there some way that I can grow here? And, and if you're doing that, and your spouse is doing that, then you can move from that conflict to peace of the harmony that God wants you to have with one another. Again, what's so interesting about this passage is that James doesn't care who's right or wrong. He doesn't care. Because identifying who's right and who's wrong is not the win. The win is relational harmony. The win in our marriages is happy and holy marriages that are pleasing to us, pleasing to God. That's that's what we want. And so when you find yourself in conflict, Start by assessing yourself. What is it I want that I'm not getting? What is it that I'm expecting that I'm not getting? Okay, then do business with God. Humbly confess your sin before him. God, this is how I'm being selfish. Please forgive me. Please restore this fractured relationship that I have with you. And then once he has, then you make peace with your spouse. And if you need to apologize, apologize. If you need to show how you're going to grow and you're going to do better in the situation. If you need to have, again, a, a a conversation about the, the, the complicated, you know, all the things that are going on in that situation. And, and you can have that, but you, you're now having that conversation from a posture of humility and lowliness rather than selfishness and pride. And if we'll do that, then I think that we'll find that the way that Christ has reconciled us to himself by humbling himself and allowing God to exalt him is the way that will also find our marriages reconciled as well. If you would, please close your eyes and bow your heads and let me pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every single person in here. Father, I pray for people who are not married yet and who are going to be married one day. God, I pray that you would help them to learn now 
how to assess their own sin, how to confess their sin before you, how to humble themselves so they can be ready to have uh, these healing conversations that bring peace in their marriage. Father, I pray for every person in this room who's married right now, no matter where their marriage is, no matter how good they feel it is right now, no matter how bad some and, and, and some who feel like they're hanging on by a thread, Father, we know that there is no fractured relationship that is beyond repair because we have seen that those of us who have rebelled against you, that you came to seek and to save us even in our rebellion and that we now get to say we love you because you first loved us. And so, Father, if you can overcome our sin against you, then you can also work in any marriage, whatever sins, whatever hurt, whatever faults we have done against each other, you can work in each one of those situations. And so I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would. And so, Father, help whatever response needs to come out of this message for the, the folks in the room. I, I pray that it would happen. If there's folks here who would say, I need to talk to somebody, have them pray with us, pray for our marriage, that there's a care and prayer room available when we, when we leave. I wish they would go and they would talk to somebody who would help them. If, if you need to take further steps and, and get counseling, go and ask one of the pastors, is there a way, is there somebody that you know that we can meet with to help us to resolve some of these things that, that again, know it's simple about our selfishness, but they seem so complicated. We need somebody to help us untangle these things. I pray that they would do that. Father, I pray for anybody in this room who the reason why they don't believe the cross and the reason why they're not um, in reconciled relationship with you is because they've never confessed their sin. They've never believed in Jesus as their Savior. And so they're not able to be Christ to their wife. And they're not able to be like the church for their husband because they're not part of the church and because they don't know Christ. And so, Father, I pray for anybody that's, that's true of today, that they would not leave without talking to somebody who's a member here. They wouldn't leave without talking to a pastor, not leave without going to the care and prayer room and saying, I need to know Christ. I want to be reconciled to God so that I can then be reconciled to my spouse. Father, do whatever needs to be done so that the marriage in this room will not just endure, but they will be enjoyed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.